So let's pray and we'll jump into uh, our study of Matthew today. King Jesus, we uh, continue our worship now. Uh, you will reign forever. You, you have been reigning and you are reigning now. So uh, we come wanting to uh, learn more and more how to live in your kingdom because we believe uh, that's what we're made for is to live in relationship with you, with each other. Uh, so would you help us now as we look to your word to see you for who you are, King Jesus, and respond appropriately with lives of uh, commitment, lives of obedience, and lives of repentance, because none of us live out that commitment perfectly. But thank you for taking our place on the cross. Uh, before you died, you lived a perfect life, and so your atonement, your your substitution for us uh, um, fulfills all the righteous requirements of God's law that we would never and never could measure up to. So uh, we want our lives to be about you, living for you and with you. Help us now. Amen. So we're going to start this morning with an exercise, and this is an exercise in emotional honesty. So uh, if you have a journal or if you want to write it down, you can use the card in the seat in front of you. Um, and, and this is just for you. So answer the question on the screen uh, just for you. Uh, honestly, between you and God, what, what do you feel? This is a feeling question. What do you feel would make your life better? Um, another way to put it is what undesirable circumstance would you like to see changed? So I'm going to give you a minute uh, to think about that question. Just jot down a note. If you're not a writer, you don't have to write it down. But engage that question for a moment. You can keep thinking and writing. Ignore me if you're on a train of thought, but if you're struggling to get on a track of a train of thought, uh, maybe, maybe if you're single, it's finding someone. Or maybe if you're engaged, it's being married already. <laughs> um, maybe if you're married, it's, if only I could fix this and this and this about my spouse. Um, if you don't like your job, maybe it's getting a new job or finding a place where you're valued or you could advance. Uh, there's lots of different potentials. So, uh, yeah, maybe if you're hurting in some way, it's finding healing emotionally, physically. Uh, there's a lot of different answers. I just want us to be honest with ourselves and with God as we, as we move forward. Um, this question kind of, kind of dusts off the age-old question, what is the good life? That's a question that Many people have asked over the ages, uh, philosophers and others have wrestled with that questions, given many different answers. Um, I find Solomon, King Solomon's uh, answer and his, 
his experience with this question especially interesting because King Solomon, if, if you remember, uh, he apparently had it all by the world's standards. He had money. He was incredibly wealthy. He had power as a king over a prospering nation. He had wisdom. He knew how to navigate through life successfully. Uh, and he had women, lots of women. And those are all things that the world would say, as a man, you've, you've got a good life. But in Ecclesiastes, as an older man, he writes how empty all of that left him. He was miserable. It was all vanity until he learned, and I say learned kind of with an asterisk, until he learned there's no good thing in life apart from God. And, and here's my asterisk for why he learned that. He knew that from, a chi- from, from his childhood. Um, he knew it cognitively. He just did not live like that was true. So inevitably, we all ask and we answer this question with our life. What, with, what, what is the good life? That's the question we all ask and answer. But like Solomon shows us and others show us, we need to know the answer ahead of time. Otherwise, we're going to waste large portions of our life discovering, oh, that's not the good life. Jesus starts his Sermon on the Mount telling us who is well off, who has the good life and why. And his hearers, the people who heard this, they're quite surprised by his answer. So let's read the opening of Jesus' sermon. To, uh, we're going to read more than we cover today just because I want to give you some context. Um, we're going to read starting in verse 3 through verse 16. This is what I'd call the intro of his message. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So we've been kind of flying through or giving overview of Matthew's gospel so far, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four. We're, we're working our, we've been working our way to this point, the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, I gave an overview of the sermon, and today we're only going to tackle the first five verses. So I don't want you to lose context. Um, and, and in order to do so, I need to remind you of the last thing Jesus said before the sermon, the last thing Matthew records. It was, repent, for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. Jesus proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. In, in Matthew chapter 4, he records that as kind of an overview of Jesus' ministry. And I think it's just crucial context because it's the backdrop. Like, 
all this mess is the backdrop behind me, is the backdrop of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And it's no coincidence that Jesus begins his sermon referencing back a few times to that phrase, the kingdom of the heavens. So we see it at the very start, which again, we're going to cover today, just verses three through seven. So I'm going to, I'm going to read this again because this is our text just for today. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. This, this section is known as the Beatitudes. This is just the first half. Um, we'll cover the second half next week. And there's two common approaches to understanding what, the, what Jesus means, uh, kind of two different perspectives. So uh, I'm going to give you both, and I'll let you choose, you know, which one, um, y- you know, you connect to or which one makes the most sense. But I, I will make the case for one of them, of course. Uh, here's the first. Here's the first perspective. Some say that these Beatitudes are all things that we should do. These are ideals to strive for. Um, and, and I just want to say in some ways, like, yes, we, we, we can all connect to, like, be humble. Uh, uh, recognize your own spiritual poverty. You know, like, the Bible says that in other places. Mourn over your sin. You know, be, be mournful in that way. Like, yes, we can, none of us can disagree with that. Uh, be meek, which again, most people, most people would say that's, that's being humble again, right? <laughs> um, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Yes, we are to pursue right living. Uh, be merciful. Okay, yeah, you know, the Bible says be merciful. So yeah, we can't, we can't deny that is a good ideal to strive after. But here's my, here's my I'm already going to start pushing back on this perspective. Is that what Jesus is saying here? Is it logically consistent? Because Jesus is an intelligent guy. He's not just a, a good guy with good intentions. He's incredibly intelligent. So the most intelligent person who's ever lived, is it logically consistent with the rest of what he says? Like, are we to pursue being insulted and persecuted the same way that we are to pursue hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Are we to strive for that? Because, you know, Jesus kind of groups all these things together in his the, the way he presents it. It's blessed are the fill in the blank, you know, for theirs is fill in the blank. It, it all is kind of connected. So are we to pursue it in the same way? Uh, most of us would say, no, it's a little different, right? Um, this interpretation, I also don't feel like is consistent with the rest of the passage because he goes on to say, this is who you are. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Um, and if we take the Beatitudes as things to do, then he makes this sh- sudden shift as like, you know, this is who you are, regardless of what you do. Like, who we are definitely has implication on what we do, but um, I just don't see Jesus laying down the law with the Beatitudes. Also, I don't see Jesus saying, do this, because, check this out, in Luke six twenty, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now. There's no poor in spirit there in Luke. There's no hunger 
for righteousness is just poor and hungry. So if, you're think, if you think Jesus is saying make every effort to be poor in spirit, mournful, hungry, uh, for righteousness, you're going to have a hard time jumping over to Luke and not taking the same logic and saying all wealthy and well-fed Christians right now and throughout church history um, are, are living in persistent, unrepentant disobedience, right? Because Jesus said, be poor. If, if that's the way you're approaching this text, if that's the way you're interpreting it. So now if you believe that, but I'm not, I'm not trying to pick a fight. I'm just trying to, you know, <laughs> uh, if you believe that, that's fine. I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> like, you go ahead and pursue it. Um, go ahead. Like, really. Uh, if that's the way you read the text. Um, but I just want you to know, one of the pitfalls I see of, like, reading it that way is it makes obedience to Jesus seem like a miserable way forward or an unattainable thing to most ordinary folks anyway. Now, if you take a vow of poverty and live a monk-type lifestyle, then, you know, maybe it's more attainable. But, you know, like, does that really, does that really seem good to you? Uh, you might intend to obey, but it's probably going to be a weak intention that will perpetually fail. Uh, rather, what we need is a robust vision of how truly good life in God's kingdom is. Then we'll have the intention needed to carry out the means because we think it's good. So I think option number one kind of fails the test of consistency. And again, you can disagree with me and that's okay. Honestly, a lot of really smart people uh, disagree. Um, and that's, that's okay. Uh, but let me introduce option number two by showing how it passes what I'd call the consistency test. So here's the consistency I see in our, our passage this morning. Being poor in spirit is not a desirable place to be spiritually. Like, if, if you had the option, two options, would you rather be spiritually rich or spiritually poor? <laughs> I would choose spiritually rich. And the thought back then, and it's a prevalent thought now, is that God has blessed the rich. God has blessed them. And therefore, the, the poor, not as blessed. In fact, sometimes they're, they're poor for a reason. You know, like God is punishing them. So it's, it's not a desirable place to be. Mourning is not a desirable place to be emotionally. I can't think of the last time that someone told me, man, I'm really, I really miss being sad. <laughs> I was so happy when I was sad. said no one ever, right? <laughs> Being meek is not to one's advantage in this dog-eat-dog -dog world we live in because to be meek is to be gentle, to be yielding, not easily irritated. Uh, in the world that we live in, this broken, sinful world, these people get walked on, easily imposed on. And it's not, I'm not saying you should let people walk all over you. I'm saying... Being meek is not desirable or advantageous. And Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Okay, what about being hungry and thirsty for righteousness? Being like, that's a good ideal. And I, it, that is a good ideal. You know, I already said that in option one. Um, but how many of you know what it feels like to be hangry? 
right? You know, so hungry, you're angry. I'm with you. I've been there. And so how happy would you be? How happy, how, how blessed, how happy would you be if I kept you all here past lunch? Um, which, by the way, thanks for coming back, because last week, if you were here, I almost did that. Yeesh. Um, uh, it, it did go long, so I apologize. But hypothetically, if we didn't get out till two-ish, you know, how many of you would be posting on social media, church went super long today, hashtag blessed. <laughs> So apply that, apply that thinking to, I really want righteousness. I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, and it's not there, right? That is, you don't feel blessed in the, in the moment of seeking, in the moment of hunger. And Jesus is saying, blessed are you there when you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, It's just not what they would expect. It's not what we would expect. So merciful. Okay, here's another one. It sure sounds like this is just something we should do. And and we should. But do you know the prerequisite for mercy? Being, Being offended. In order to overcome or overlook an offense, there must first be an offense. And I don't know about you, but being offended is not something I desire. So that's the consistency I see with all of these. And by the way, with, with being offended, that's not saying being easily offended. We should all seek to have really small toes, which means it's hard to step on our toes. Small toes and big hearts. Um, but to be merciful means you've been unfairly treated and you choose to not pay them back or hold it over them. So these are all difficult, undesirable positions to be in. And yet Jesus says, blessed are you here. And so it should be no surprise to us that in verse 17, Jesus has to kind of, you know, like tell them, hey, I'm not teaching anything new. Because they think this, this is new to us. He's saying in verse 17, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I've come to fulfill them. It's, it's not new. It's a fulfillment of what's very, very old, the ancient law of God. And so the reaction of the audience then was kind of surprised. And I think if we have ears to hear today, our, our reaction might be kind of a surprise and kind of be taken aback by that as well. I, I believe the message of the sermon, or the message of the Beatitudes, this intro, what Jesus uses to get people's attention is no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, the kingdom of God is available to you there. And if you are living in the kingdom, you're blessed. You're the one with the truly good life. You're the one who is well off. Blessed simply means happy, favored, well off. And you're well off in all the ways that matter most. You're right in relationship with God and you've been positioned to live rightly in relationship with people. You have the with God life in the kingdom. And this, I believe, is a vision of how good life is in God's kingdom. And when we think something is good, we'll move towards it. We all do what makes sense to us. We all move towards what seems good to us. So please don't, or please hear this. Please hear this next part. This does not mean that you're blessed because 
you're in an undesirable position. I was talking to a friend yesterday and I asked him, you know, like, what have you historically thought the Beatitudes meant? And he said, I always was confused by it because it sounded like uh, Jesus and the people who taught me this said, be happy because bad things are happening to you. <laughs> and that is confusing. And, and that's not what this means. You're not blessed because you're in an undesirable position. It means as a follower of King Jesus, your life is more than your circumstances. Circumstances don't rule your life. King Jesus rules your life and he's good. So you're blessed because King Jesus rules, not because of the undesirable circumstance. The kingdom, in, in this view, living this way, the kingdom makes all the difference. Your circumstances matter, but what you're saying is the kingdom of God matters more. And so what is the kingdom exactly? That's a big question. Uh, and I just want to tell a story, or a true real life story from history because Jesus used stories to kind of paint a picture of the kingdom. So I was like, I'll, I'll try that too. Um, that picture is of Horatio Spafford. And Spafford lived in Chicago in the 1800s. He was a devout Christian, very successful businessman. Um, so again, may, maybe he was living in open, unrepentant sin by accumulating wealth. Um, I don't think so, but... Uh, Anyways, uh, he established a law practice. He invested in real estate. He was married, had four daughters and one son. Spafford's son tragically died of scarlet fever at four years old. And then a few months later, his fortune, his real estate fortune, went up in flames of the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. He nearly lost everything overnight. And a few years later, after kind of recovering from this tragic time, uh, desiring just a rest, a reprieve for he and his family, uh, he planned a European vacation for his wife and four daughters. Uh, due to unexpected last-minute business developments, Spafford had to remain in Chicago while the rest of his family uh, set sail. Of course, before airplanes, they set sail across the Atlantic to go to Europe, and the ship that carried Horatio's family, along with 200 other people, was struck by another vessel and it sank in 12 minutes. Uh, several days later, there were a few survivors that landed in Wales and Mrs. Spafford telegrammed her husband, saved alone. It was the short message, saved alone. She only survived. And it's believed that Spafford pinned the lyrics to the song, the, the famous hymn, It Is Well, as he traveled over the ocean where that ship carrying his daughters had sunk. And so when I thought about that this week, that, that line that he penned, when sorrows like sea billows roll, that had so much more power and impact to me, uh, thinking about his life and his suffering um, and how in the midst of all that, he believed he was blessed in the kingdom. Now, his, his suffering wasn't over. Uh, when the Spaffords returned to their church home, they, they actually were religious outsiders because their church told them that their suffering was a result of their sin. This was God's divine punishment for something in their life. Much like Job's friend in the Old Testament book wrongly accused him. And so they, they suffered greatly, but as the song tells the story, they trusted Christ through it all.
And so that, that's a very dramatic story. But I, I want to say today that you don't have to wait for your life to get dramatic or traumatic. You don't have to wait to hit rock bottom in order to consider yourself blessed in the kingdom of God. James 1, Jesus' half-brother who, who penned this epistle, he says, consider it pure joy. Count it is, is what he's getting at. Count it all joy whenever you face trials, he says, of many kinds. So you don't have to wait until it's a big, big trial or a big, big hardship, but even little things, daily things, difficulties with others, struggles with yourself. If we can trust God for our eternal salvation, then what can't we trust him with? Nothing is too big, nothing is too small. You can learn, we can all learn to live in the kingdom and to find that our blessedness is found in living in the kingdom. That we are in the kingdom, therefore we're blessed. So that's, that's what I'd encourage you to do with no matter what you're facing, what you were thinking about at the beginning of this message, I encourage you to believe I'm blessed because I'm in the kingdom. And so we'll, we'll continue this next week, but uh, I just want to look at one clarification to living this way that I think often trip people, trips people up. So next week we'll, we'll look at the already not yet uh, nature of God's kingdom. But today I just want to talk about our emotions. And our emotions is as we pursue living this way to say I'm blessed because I'm in the kingdom, our emotions can easily trip us up. So we either think that it should feel good, right? <laughs> because I'm telling myself the truth. It, it should feel good. Um, or I should feel a certain way. Or, or some of us, you know, kind of fall on the other side and say, well, it doesn't matter what you feel at all. <laughs> Just doesn't matter. And uh, the Bible never calls for an unemotional, cold, obedi cold obedience, nor does God's word require you to feel a certain way. Um, some examples is like in the garden, Jesus cried. This is before the cross. He sweat blood. He agonized. And yet in the midst of this emotional, you know, high point, he deemed good what the father deemed good. That's what he chose. And Spafford's obedience, I'm sure, was not unemotional as he chose to trust Christ in the midst of his suffering. So I just want to say, feelings make a good servant. Like that when they report to you, Feelings are good. But when you start reporting to your feelings and they control you, they're, they're your master. They're a terrible master. Thomas Brooks, who is a really uh, smart old dead guy, um, he was a Puritan pastor. He said, zeal, just think zeal as emotional fervor. It's like a fire. If it's in the chimney, which is the right place, it's one of the best servants. But when it's out of the chimney, it's one of the worst masters. And that's, that's you know, it's easy for me to look, overlook small fires. Oh, it's just a small one. Even if it's out of the chimney, oh, it's just a small one. It's dangerous. Fire outside of the chimney is dangerous. So to consider it pure joy, to actually put this into practice, to, to, to tell ourselves and remember that we're blessed in the kingdom, this does not mean that we just don't care about our circumstances. That's, that's not what it means. It also doesn't mean that you have to feel a certain way or that you shouldn't feel 
you know, this way or that way. We're, we're not trying to deny reality. That's not what it means. Like when you're mourning, you're, you're, you don't have to say, oh, I'm not mourning, I'm comforted. That, that's, that, Jesus said you're blessed in your mourning. You will be comforted. We're not denying reality. What this means is that our hope is not in our circumstances. Our hope is in the God of hope. That living under his kingship, we're well off. So here's, here's kind of the big application emotionally is acknowledge your emotions. If you want a, a 100% foolproof way to acknowledge your emotions, here it is. Prayer. Tell God what you're feeling. He can handle it. Don't ignore your emotions. Don't spew. So don't suppress them, but don't let them run wild. Unless you're telling them to God because he can handle that. But uh, acknowledge them, process them, and then move towards trusting God. Processing your emotions looks like this. What are they? How am I feeling? And then what is this feeling leading me towards? What does it want me, or, you know, what's it making me want to do? So we're going to end the message spending some time doing that right now. Um, Just... Take some time to process your life with God and kind of go back to that thing that you wrote down. And I I just want to encourage you to count yourself blessed. To consider yourself blessed, not because of this thing, but because the kingdom of God is available to you in this thing. You're blessed because you're in the kingdom. So I'm going to give us some time to just talk with God silently. If you're here and you're not sure if you're in the kingdom, uh, not sure what that means, uh, you're welcome in. You just have to be done with your idea of the good life. You have to turn away from your vision of the good life and trust King Jesus and his leadership. Um, He will take you as you are and he will lead you into a life of ongoing change. And God, for for all of us who have made that decision to trust you for the forgiveness of our sins with the leadership of our life, uh, help us to see and really believe that we are blessed uh, because you are our king.
We are living in your kingdom. We want to train to trust you no matter what comes, big or small.